wait is over, the Tour de France is here at last, and Flow Bikes is the place to be. Watch all 21 stages live and on demand in Canada. In addition to the Canadian-only broadcast, viewers worldwide can access exclusive on-site coverage, live watch parties with Mike Woods and Swain Tuft, and a host of other behind-the-scenes content. Plus, Flow Bikes is the exclusive home of the Tour de France fantasy cycling game in the United States and Canada. Upcoming live events include Tirreno Adriatico, the Giro d'Italia, Tour of Flanders, and so much more. Don't miss out on the craziest fall of bike racing ever. And when you purchase a Flow Bike subscription, you'll get access to the entire Flow Sports network of over 25 sports. Don't miss out. Sign up at flowbikes.com slash velonews. That's F-L-O bikes.com forward slash velonews. Okay, let's get on with the podcast. Welcome back to the Velo News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you from a busy Tuesday morning here at the home office. I am still mopping the sweat from my forehead from watching that extremely exciting stage four finish to Orsi Merlet. Uh, Sepp Kuss doing some big turns on the front to set up his man, Primoz Roglic. Hey, our odyssey into the Tour de France continues here on the Velo News Podcast. Today we have a very packed episode later in the show we have our first Rider Diary, this one coming from American Nielsen Paulus, who is making his Tour de France debut with EF Pro Cycling. He talks all about what his first stage of the Tour de France was like. Then we have another dispatch from France with Andrew Hood and James Start, who are on the ground, who are talking about their experiences there and how different this year's Tour de France is from a normal Tour de France. But before we get to that, we have our analysis of the last two days, myself and my awesome co-host Jens Vogt coming to us from Germany. Jens, I mean, when you watched the finale of today's stage, that big summit battle to Orsier Merlet, I mean, what was your biggest takeaway from the big fight today? Biggest uh, takeaway I took is I like to talk clear and open. Team Ineos is pretty much fucked. They are absolutely fucked. <clears throat> I mean, a world-class rider uh, like um, Kwiatkowski, he did about 10 yards, yeah, 10 feet at the front before he got taken over by Seb Kass, who was impressively strong. Um, Team Ineos just doesn't have the horsepower, the manpower to be up there in the end to write a tempo that actually could challenge anybody. Igan Bernal himself is still in touch. He himself alone is strong enough to actually be on a podium of the tour, but his team is nowhere, not even close to be the team they needed to be. So I don't know. <laughs> it's maybe a uh, Roglic, Pogacar, and who knows, maybe uh, Domolang, Rigoberto Uran, Mikel Landa. Bernal doesn't seem to have much of a team behind him. That is for me, the uh, biggest uh, revelation, revelation of uh, today's stage. Yeah, that was the big story we were following coming into this year's Tour de France was the heavyweight battle between Ineos Grenadiers and Jumbo Visma and how Jumbo Visma just really outmuscled Ineos uh, during the Criterium du Dauphiné, especially for those first four stages, just riding the front, looking so strong. And yeah, when Ineos would get on the front to try and take over, it was like Kwiatkowski would pull for a little while. Garen Thomas would pull for 30 seconds and then pull off. Chris Froome couldn't even pull on the front. And now here we saw it again where Wout Van Aert, noted 
climber, Wout van Aert, uh, takes the front on the climb and sets such a hard tempo that I think it was both Kwiatkowski and Jonathan Castro Viejo who are, look, these are strong domestiques. These are world-class riders and they could pull on the front for, like you said, five seconds, 10 seconds before they totally blew up and it went right back to Yumbo Visma. So Yumbo Visma definitely won the battle of the muscles today. The question I keep coming back to though, Jens, is this is stage four. We still have 17 stages to go and I just wonder if flexing their muscles today was a bit too early. Look, they did not take the yellow jersey, which I think helps Team Yumbo Visma's efforts here, but is there any fear that they might be uh, just showing themselves a little too early in this year's Tour de France? Very good analysis uh, because they have already dominating the first race of the season, Tour de Land, with an impressive win of Roglic. They were again super strong in the Dauphiné, which means they are like for a month by now in top shape. How long can you hold your top shape? They have been riding on top of the level for months already in the previous races. So, yes, there is a chance that they get too excited, that they get ahead of themselves and waste energy and power where it's not needed. I actually had a little chat with Grisha Niemann, uh, one of the German sports directors. I said, Grisha, you guys look awesome. Just if I'm allowed to give one tip from the outside, go easy on the juice, go easy on the power. Don't ride at the front all the time. Save it, save it, and only you only need to be there when it's needed because you want to be in yellow in Paris. You don't want to be the strongest team of the first week. You want to be winning in Paris. That is, uh, yes, the only uh, risk they are taking. But in the moment, they look like they got uh, plenty of power and they got more to go. So we see how that develops. But on the other side, I don't see a miracle comeback from Team Ineos. Where, where are they want to recover or get better? It was a tough Tour de France. Two of their riders are pretty beat up. Amador and Sivakov both crashed twice on the first day. So they will be non-operational for another week. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation for Team Ineos. They are not the dominating team they used to be. Yeah, it's the psychology that we see in many sports when there is a dominant team, like a big brother, and then the up-and-coming challenger, the little brother. And as the up-and-coming challenger, the psychology is, you know, when do you want to show yourself? Do you want to, you know, there's always a desire to maybe flex your muscles and show how strong you are early. We see this in tennis all the time when there's a new strong tennis player coming up. But sometimes that youthful exuberance can bite you in the butt because experience and veteran savvy can go a long way. You know, I remember back during the Lance Armstrong tours, you know, you were part of, famously part of CSC and you had um, Ivan Basso and you were really trying to show yourself and show how strong you were as a team. And I'm curious, what was that mentality like going up against such a dominant force, knowing you had a really strong team and a strong rider, but what was that psychology like when you're you're going up against the Death Star? Well, first of all, you just don't show fear and you just don't accept uh, that they are better or that they think they are better. You know, we are equal here. We started Tour de France at zero and we want to have our share, our part of it. Um, and you race in a way that suits your team and your team's abilities. And you try to put your plan into action. Of course, there's 22 teams and 22 plans every morning. 
And by the end of the day, one, maybe two plans are working out. The other 20 teams missing out. So it's, it's, it's a daily challenge, a daily struggle. And once you think you got that big opponent beaten, some random team shows up and like ruins your perfect plan. You go, why are you riding now? This is a big battle between them and us. And what are you doing here now? So there's always this little unknown factor of uh, what the others are, are doing. Um, but uh, uh, I believe uh, the way it is now, Team Jumbo Visma seems to be the new super force in cycling. Another dynamic that I keep thinking about and I was thinking about as I watched today was this is stage four. We're already having a summit finish. You know, so much has been written about the interesting creative route design for this year's Tour de France, moving some of the mountain days up, packing some big mountain days in the finale and what that's going to do to the riders. The fact that there aren't these individual time trials where guys can some guys can rest their legs. You know, we're still 13 stages away from this big uh, battle on the Col de la Loz. What? How do you feel like this year's route with the early summit finish is going to impact the teams and the racing dynamics that we see going forward? We have um, only done four stages, and there's a lot of riders pretty tired and pretty beat up because of the stress, the rain, and the crash the first day. Um, there was a lot of yesterday stage was hard. Um, we had um, 4,000 meters of uh, uh, vertical climbing. It was a tough start, but we can see the two organizers so far did a pretty good job. The races, the stages were interesting. Today, there were little gaps. The favorites were in the front, but it's far from being decided. I mean, you know, the, the, the top three or whatever. The top 10 are only separated by 17 seconds, the top 10 riders. So that uh, uh, still shows that they're all still in the game and a lot of them still hope for a podium or for potential win. So now tomorrow it's an easier stage. There we have another hilltop finish, which is also not a killer climb. Again, we will see the favorites in one group together. But again, I don't expect 30 seconds or one minute gaps on the coming Um on a coming uh, mountaintop finish. So the, the organizers planned it pretty good to keep it spectacular and interesting, to challenge the riders every day, but to keep the big decision, the big stages into the last week where then the whole game is going to be played out. So we're recording this on Tuesday. On Monday, we saw a thrilling sprint finish into Cicerone with Caleb Ewan taking a win. I mean, he looked like a race car weaving and dodging around all the other riders in that uh, finishing sprint. You know, we also saw Peter Sagan, um, you know, do more to uh, challenge some of these intermediate sprints to pad his lead in the green jersey competition. And, you know, after the stage, one of the stories that I thought was interesting, Jens, was the fact that, you know, more sprinters are coming out and saying that they're not interested in chasing the green jersey this year. They're interested in stage wins. But, you know, they're just the, the green jersey is not very high up on their list, and it makes me wonder what 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 does it have to take for there to be a bona fide rival for Peter Sagan in the green jersey competition? I mean, it seems like his strategy of chasing the intermediate sprints, being up there in the final sprints, but not always winning, you know, seems to be a, a winning formula for him. But I just feel like we need we need a rival for Peter Sagan in the green jersey competition. I'm interested in your take on this. What do we have to do to get 
make this competition a little more interesting. Let me help you with this. Easy peasy. We do have a challenger. Matteo Trentin, Team CSC. He is always there in the intermediate sprint, bonus sprints. He does not have the speed to match Peter Zagan on a face-to-face sprint. But just like Peter Zagan, he's a pretty good climber and he will do a lot of points in escape groups on intermediate or medium mountain stages. He can win one or two of them. He can win a lot of intermediate sprints if they are after the first mountain. From all the pure sprinters, zero are actually a zero, a serious challenger to Peter Zagan. Christoph is a brilliant bike rider. He will never make enough points in the intermediate sprints to challenge Peter because Peter will always be second or third at the intermediate sprint and always in the finish line, second, third, or fourth, or fifth. So he will collect so many points, steady, but all the time points, that the, the pure sprinters have no chance at all to challenge Peter Zagan. It will be in Paris between Mathieu Trentin and Peter Zagan. I can only repeat myself from two days ago. I don't see Peter winning a stage. He's a world-class rider. If things turn out perfect for him, of course he takes the chance. But he doesn't seem to be fast enough for the fast finishes and not strong enough to be at the hard stages in the first group. Tomorrow, maybe it's an uphill sprint. I guess people like Max Peters and Peter Zagan will have a good chance. Um, yeah, but yeah, to make it short, the green jersey will be played out between Matteo Trentin and Peter Zagan. Do you feel like this weakens the importance of the green jersey? I mean, it sounds like some of these sprinters, it makes it's way more important to them to win at least even just one stage than to collect a green jersey. Um, you know, where do you see the importance of the significance of the green jersey during this era of the Tour de France? Well, it's also the sprinters. They have to be realistic. I mean, if I would say, nah, I never, I never went for the yellow jersey. That doesn't mean yellow jersey is worth less. I'm just not good enough to take it, right? And uh, uh, sprinters, the, the ones we have, they're just not good enough to bring that green jersey to Paris. So, of course, they say, look, I don't even want it. And for a sprinter, or look at uh, Peter. Peter will probably have another five or six podium places, second, third, fourth places in this tour. He goes, okay, looking at myself now at the shape I have, Peter is going, I'm probably not going to win a stage. What can I do to be spectacular, be Peter Zagan, get go for the green jersey? The other sprinters, um, Caleb Ewan or um, a, a, a sprinter that really struggles and suffers in the mountains, Sam Bennett, he goes, there's no way I'm going to win the green jersey in Paris. But I can be spectacular and win a stage. So, of course, they focus on that, what they are good at. In many years, stage wins and green jersey came hand in hand for Peter Sagan because he was just so much superior. That's not the case this year. He's back to be a human. He actually suffers on the mountains like never before. And so the other sprinters go, look, forget about green in Paris. I have no chance. I focus on what I'm good at, and that's a stage win. And it's both equally important, and it's both a pretty awesome price to take in cycling, a stage in a tour or a green jersey. Jens, we're still inside the first week here at the Tour de France, and the, f- the first week is always 
all about staying upright. We see so many crashes. Obviously, stage one, we saw all the crashes on the wet road, but we've continued to continue to see some nervousness in the peloton. Tej Minute was in the breakaway, misjudged a corner today. We saw a crash yesterday where uh, Anthony Perez, who was leading the KOM jersey, had a crash and he's out of the race. You know, looking back on your own experiences in the Tour de France and those nervous opening weeks of the Tour, what would you tell yourself mentally and emotionally to like overcome the nervousness and the crashes of these first weeks? What was your like, what was your mantra? Well, it depends. I mean, uh, we were sometimes in a lucky position. We had the yellow jersey because of Cancellara. So we be riding in the front, which is the safest place ever in the Tour de France. Um, otherwise, uh, uh, you know, sometimes I would be um, the uh, uh, personal bodyguard for Frank or Andy Schleck. And then you go, okay, I don't care how much fear I have. I got to make sure my man behind me stays safe and I bring him to the position he needs to be on the bottom of the climb. And you are so focused on your job that you just push it aside the fear and the nervousness and um you always think nah it's not gonna hit me it's gonna hit somebody else nah it's not gonna happen to me you know um but yes you do have a, a certain respect for this first nervous week of the tour de france because so many times we have seen favorites crashing or being caught behind the crash losing precious time and they can never make that up again you know once you lose that 30 seconds or one minute it's pretty much impossible to make that up to somebody like Egan Bernal or Primoz Roglic, right? Um, so yeah, there's a certain respect for that. And the way the Tour de France is with the hilltop finish on the fourth day already, on a fourth stage, everybody feels, feels the pressure and is just, you know, fighting uh, for his position and his place. Yeah, I mean, we saw one of those battles go on before like the penultimate or even the third climb to go where the, the peloton just ramped up. I mean, it looked like it looked like they were fighting for the entry point into the uh, forest of Arenberg or something like that. And it was just, nope, got to get to the climb in good position. So, you know, this this nervous first week is going to continue. So today we finished at Orsier Merlet. There hasn't been a stage finish there in quite some time, but we're in the Haute Alps, this, you know, southern France gap, famed Tour de France city. And, and Jens, I'm curious if you have any good memories from your own career from this region of France, you know, Gap and the Haute Alps. Uh, what comes to mind when you think about this region from your own career? Well, first thing that comes to my mind is that a dramatic and tragic crash of Jose Babalocchi in the Tour, where he slipped on the melted tarmac and uh, um, Lance Armstrong did that super stunt, like saving himself, cutting across the field and avoiding a crash. And Belocki was never the same right after. He broke the femur and his hip, and he never really came back from that. Many, many crashes, many stressful descents on the way down. Um, but also, one year we saved uh, Perinicia with Bobby Julek, uh, my uh, good old friend. And we saved uh, the Tour de France on that stage. We stayed safe, made it back up there without losing too much time, without losing time. But that was a good memory. But a gap is always uh, stressful. It's always stressful here. Well, Jens, I really appreciate you uh, coming to us. We're going to throw it to Nielsen Palace and then James Start and Andrew Hood. But we'll be uh, linking up with you in a couple days to talk about the next few days of action. So I will let you get back to your afternoon there in Germany. Jens Vogt, everyone. Thanks for listening. And before I just say goodbye, just let me tell you, Nelson Proles is just a raw diamond. The guy got so much more potential and talent than he has shown yet. 
I'm not even sure if he knows how good he is. He is a really great, talented rider. He just needs the right team, the people around him to shape him a little bit. But he's just pure gold. He is a really, really good rider with a huge potential. And he's a nice guy on top of it. So saying that, I say goodbye to all of you guys. I see you in two or three days again. And again, Jens is being brought to us by Trek Bikes with the Go Buy Bike campaign. Trek is challenging anyone to replace one car trip with a bike ride once a week. Post about it on social media with the hashtag Go Buy Bike and invite your friends to do so. Learn more at trekbikes.com slash go by bike. You heard me talk about it at the top of the show, but the Tour de France is here and Flow Bikes is the place to be. You can watch all 21 stages live and on demand in Canada. In addition to the Canadian-only broadcast, viewers worldwide can access exclusive on-site coverage, live watch watch parties with Canadians Mike Woods and Swain Tuff. That sounds like fun. And a host of other behind-the-scenes content. Plus, Flow Bikes is the exclusive home of the Tour de France fantasy game in the United States and Canada. Subscribe today by going to flowbikes.com slash velonews. That's F-L-O bikes.com forward slash velonews. I want to party with Mike Woods and Swain Tuft right now. Okay, let's get back to the show. Hi, my name is Nielsen Paulus, and I'm a 23-year-old professional cyclist on EF Pro Cycling. A story for my first Tour de France stage. Uh, it's hard to pick one in particular. Um, I mean, the whole stage just felt like we were riding on an ice skating rink. Um, it looked like the roads were super soapy from months of buildup, and um, I guess just left and right, it looked like guys were just jumping off of their bikes and... Um, slipping all over the place and I was slipping but um I would say the thing that stood out the most was when uh Tony Martin went to the front and decided to um ask all the riders to to take it easy and sort of band together and just uh all decide that it wasn't it wasn't safe and it would have been it would have caused so many more crashes if we took the last ascent um at top speed and um no, that was a that was a, a great thing to be a part of when all the riders just kind of stood together and decided that no, it wasn't it wasn't safe and um, we could restart the race later on and um, we could have a, a sprint to the finish. But um, at that moment, it was just really pretty dangerous and um, luckily everybody saw that and we decided to take it easy. Uh, watching the tour when I was younger was just it was really inspiring and being able to see different parts of the world um, and incredible athletes racing up you know, Alpine passes, uh, in France and it was exotic. It was a storyline you could follow for three weeks. And it just really made me want to, um, follow in their footsteps and, um, become the best athlete that I could be as well. When I first started racing in 2016, I raced for Action Hoggins Berman. It was a development team and we got the opportunity to race, uh, the tour of California and a lot of world tour professional teams were were racing there and i think having that opportunity to race against professionals kind of put professional cycling in perspective for me and although the tour of california isn't it, it it's not the tour de france it's really far from from it actually i mean the roads are wide and um it's really straightforward the way it's raced and the tour the tour is just um a totally different animal with the roads the the level of competition but it still was able to sort of give me a gauge on the speed that a professional peloton races at and that was a huge benefit to my learning experience and I think from from then on I kind of had my 
eyes set and my eyes set on the future and I kind of would have a better idea of um, what it would take to maybe race in the tour. I think physically it feels about the same as I was expecting. The speed is incredibly high. Everybody's super fit. The depth of talent here is just incredible, more than any other race I've been a part of. But I think just with the overall atmosphere of the race, it's so much different than what I was expecting because of the, the pandemic right now and because that every team is kind of in their own bubble when they're not in the race. And, um, you know, at the start and finishes, there's barriers that people can't can't come close to you. And um, we're wearing masks all the time. And the um, yeah, there just feels like there's a bit of separation and obviously not as many people have come to watch the tour in person because they just can't travel right now and I think that it definitely was a different feeling in the beginning um like in the team presentation or in the opening ceremony it wasn't quite what I was expecting and I guess what I was expecting for this year but growing up not really what I was expecting for the Tour de France um because it was a little bit like very low-key maybe only a like a hundred people or something were were able to sort of watch the opening ceremony and in the past you see thousands of people just coming from all different parts of the world to watch the, the Tour de France but this year it's quite a bit different and I think in the peloton you can really get a feel of, of the race that you're a part of the event that you're a part of because everyone's so talented and and just primed to to race right now but um in terms of the all the extras I think it's um it's a pretty unique tour this year and finally, what's your kind of, your role or your part of the team within the Tour de France and your kind of like goals that you'd like to get from it by the end? Well, my main goal is definitely to make it to Paris. Um, both physically, I hope that I can do it, but also I hope that the race continues all the way through Paris. Um, just, uh, I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if I'll have the same feelings coming away with this race if, uh, if we never make it there, but um, right now I'm pretty optimistic for that and apart from my apart from that my goal within the team um, is just to give the team as much support as I can helping support uh, Sergio and Rigo and Danny and maybe Alberto on on his day and um, I mean whenever I can sort of set out I do set out every day with a pretty specific goal in mind of what I want to achieve and as long as I can achieve that goal each day then I'll be really happy. Hey, before we get to Andrew Hood and James Start, I want to talk to you guys about an exciting new wrinkle we have with our Active Pass membership. Look, we launched Active Pass about two months ago, and since then we've had a ton of signups, and I've ha I've gotten a lot of messages from readers, uh, both positive, hey, I love this thing, and also saying, you know, Active Pass is cool, but there's elements of it that don't really apply to me. I'm not super interested in coaching or access to live events. What I really want is the content. I want Velo News Magazine. I want access to the daily exclusive content and all the stuff you're doing around the Tour de France. Well, guess what? We have a new membership that is catered to you if you are one of these people. Um, it's called Velo News Pass. It is $49 for an annual subscription, and it includes all of the exclusive content on VeloNews.com, so that's all of the membership roundtables, hoodies column, um, archive pieces, daily analysis, and exclusive news pieces. Uh, in addition to a year subscription to VeloNews Magazine, that's nine issues, and we're also throwing in the industry deals, like pro deals to Jordana, um, 
Scratch Labs, some other companies in there. And yeah, that's what's included in the new VeloNews Pass. It's $49. You can learn more or sign up at velonews.com slash active pass but this is a new a new membership product i'm really excited about it again you know this was born from a lot of readers um, and your feedback so continue to reach out via social media or web letters at velonews.com and if you want more information on active pass or velonews pass check out velonews.com slash active pass okay let's hear from andy hood and james start Hello, Villanews listeners. Here we are again. This is uh, stage four. I'm back with our colleague, James Start. We just had a nice dinner here in the outskirts of uh, Gap. And we had, you know, another wild day, James. You know, I have to say every day during this Tour de France, I mean, we're only four days into it. It seems like we've been here for like a couple of years or something. I think it's going to be a very long tour. <laughs> it's going to be a long tour because every day is so packed with like, drama and logistical nightmares and you know whatever it is it's just gonna it's gonna be a long month but um you know it was a very strange start uh in nice with very few people i mean and conspicuously few people considering that nice is a you know conspicuously big town um but once we got out uh and came up to cisteron and then to gap uh especially cisteron i started feeling a little bit more like getting this was like a kind of almost a normal tour stage we went through villages and people came out in the villages and at Ciceron you know the finish line had a lot of people um, so I'm feeling a little more like I'm getting into the rhythm of it today was a little different going up to uh, Orsay Merlet a climb we've almost never gone up uh, a very historically significant climb because this is where Luis Ocaña took eight minutes out of Eddie Merckx in 1971 in one of the all-time great Tour de, tour de France rides but it's not like an epic climb. It was an epic ride back in the day, but it's not an epic climb. And what we noticed, you and I, today immediately was, geez, it's so easy to get up here. I mean, that was your scoop yesterday, James. You had the nice story with Govenu about how they are shutting off the 27 climbs of this year's Tour de France. You know, the major passes and, and summit finales to all tr uh, car and camper uh, traffic. And we talked to those uh, fans today on the side of the road. We we're asking them, you know, how they got up here. And, uh, you know, roads were cut off with 15K to go. Long, long way to go. Long way to walk. Long way to walk, yeah. Not so bad if, you, if you're a fit cyclist, but, you know, a long it's way to a walk. a long way to walk if you want to see the race. Yeah. And, uh, you know, those guys were telling us, yeah, they rode their bikes up, you know, 15Ks. And uh, I think, as you said as well, we actually did see some campers. I guess the, the word is uh, they're shutting the, the coals down at 6 p.m. the previous day. And they can drive up and, and park off the course. They cannot park along the course anymore. Yeah, we, we, saw, we saw several. I mean, it was probably three, three, three dozen campers there we saw. You know, I have to say, as a photographer, I don't mind not having camping cars in my pictures. Bring in the fans. Get up there, park your cars, and then come down on the road and cheer your favorite cyclists. Cheering fans I like. Camping cars are kind of a nice or. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it was, it, I tell you, it was the easiest climb ever in the Tour de France for us getting up there. Um but, you know, I was thinking about that today as well, um, you know, how it was going up that climb. And, you know, really, I feel like I was at Perry Nice, to be honest. Well, again, again, this was not Alpe d'Huez. This is not an epic climb that's going – the climb itself doesn't attract people uh, in, the, in the way that, you know, the Tourmalet or the Alpe d'Huez or one of these the or one of these epic climbs is going to do, right? Yeah. Um, so that, that was something. We're in the month of September. 
people have gone are going back to work and are very much going back to school. Everybody's going back to school this week. Vacation is over. So these are factors you can't um, neglect. And, and plus, no one can fly here. I mean, the Americans can't get here. The Australians can't get here. The the uh, Colombians can't get here. So you're right. It's going to be. Uh, we've already seen four days into this thing. It's going to be a very strange tour. But I was talking to some writers this morning. Uh, talked to uh, Nico Roche and uh, Jack Bauer, asking them about, you know, what are they seeing? You know, how is it Im- impacting the race? You know, how does it feel to be at this kind of strange tour with no media, no fans? And they, and Nico was telling me, you know, from the flag down to the finish line, it's basically like any other bike race. You know, it's full on. Nothing's changed. He just said everything kind of before and after is what's changed. And uh, you know, here we are. We're actually in a. Uh, in the in the hotel tonight with uh, what NTT and B and B. We just booked some hotel rooms, and you know this is where we ended up. And uh, and Gap is obviously you know it's a how many times have we been to Gap? Probably almost as many times as we've been to Poe, right? It was just one of these central central crossroads for the Tour de France, just big enough to to host the tour and have the hotels to host the, everybody that's here, um, and and well situated in the middle in the middle of the Southern Alps, as is Poe in the, in the Pyrenees. Um, but uh, no, it's been it's been you know it's been interesting. The racing, yes, I think is is I think I can see how uh, Nicholas Roach would would say the racing is not a lot different. Obviously, for for us and 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 for them, um, before the start of the race and the after this, after the race, very different experience. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, as as a journalist, that you know we're trying to get talk to the riders before the start every day. Uh, even just today, it was was. You know, this is the new reality, and we're in this uh, mix zone, um, in this little cubicle. The riders are going to uh, the TV because the TV pays. Right. They're at the front, and I'm over there, literally waving my arms. Obviously, the way we, you know, we quickly learned we have to like get in touch with Yo, the team. Hey, man, come on, come on down. Uh, you know, talk to the team, talk to the PR. To, you know, get someone to come down. That's the only way to do it. I mean, um, Thomas DeGent came down to speak to my Belgian colleagues today, but that was all set up. Um, so that's how it's really impacted, uh, you know, our ability to kind of work because, you know, we're missing that emotion at the finish line, you know, we're missing that those extended, uh, kind of, uh, chats you can have, you know, even just, you know, some, a lot of it's just off the record or not even off the record. Just, you're just chatting to someone cause you see them, you know, you see these guys every race and you're always just talking to them and, uh, you know, you're missing all that, you know, it's like, uh, you're not getting a chance to talk to the Swannies, talk to the mechanics, talk to the sport directors, talk to the writers. And that's how this t- tour is going to be different. And we just hope that it's going to go back to how it was before. And I think it will. Well, what, what for you as a photographer has changed? Well, you can't shoot the start, can't shoot the finish line. Yeah, it's a pretty big, pretty big, uh, pretty big hit. I have been able to, in some way, shape or form, find a spot so far at the start, like from the VIP, you know, the start village where we are allowed access. Thank you. Uh, or um, from uh, the finish yesterday at Cisteron, which is a sprint finish, which I was like, well, I'm not going to be able to photograph that. I was able to find a little spot for myself by the uh, TV camera, and I got a shot or two that I liked. Um, you know, so we're having to be very creative. Um, and so far, I'm able to make the best out of a bad situation and i'm not completely devastated by the choices that and and the pictures i've been able to take
Well, I have to say, Velo News listeners, uh, you know, be sure to go on to Velo News and check out James's photos. James, you you got a sharp eye. I mean, you've been around the block. You've been doing it for a while. But I have to say, among the photographers out there, James is uh, has the kind of eye to kind of capture the engaging image. You know, really, it's not just, you know, a guy suffering on his bike. You know, he's getting, you know, the composure, the light. You know, I have to say, James, you know, good stuff, man. You're doing a good job. Um, but, yeah, but, you know, I had some good – I've been having a lot of fun. We're doing galleries here and uh, we're doing a little series, kind of mini-series called uh, Getting the Shot. And that assumes that I get the shot. <laughs> but um, kind of explaining what I've done, things like the process I've gone through to get a shot. Um, sometimes it's literally running down the Col de Cachema because our car was blocked at the top and I couldn't get there from here. You know how that is, right? And then climbing up on a telephone pole to like some little, you know, little ledge on a rock to get a shot of Alephib coming down that turn, um, you know, or whatever, you know, it can be different things. Uh, tomorrow I'll be on a motorbike. That's going to make my job a little bit easier. So that's good. Um, but, you know, the tour, you know, the tour is an amazing stage. Average stage is 200 kilometers long. Well, it's going down. These days, well, let's I say mean, I'd say the average is. Uh, I would say the average of the of a, an average stage of a Tour de France has decreased by twenty k's per day. I would say over the last ten years, easily. That if you can't take a good picture in one hundred and eighty k's, you're not a very good photographer. <laughs> you know, so you got to be able to find something out there. Yeah, if you can't do it in that long, mate, change jobs. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, it's been. I mean, I have to say, I'm actually glad I came here. We probably said this the other day when we chatted, but I'm glad I actually came to the tour. Yeah, I actually I feel way safer than I expected, and I think we actually we we ran into uh, some guys here. Uh, you know, you feel safer on the tour, I think, than Absolutely. you do. Just everybody here is so conscious about hygiene. Yeah. You know, I remember at Paris Nice when this, you know, when the whole COVID thing was just starting to break. Uh, I talked with a couple of riders, and they're like, you know, most of the protocol that governments are asking society to do now, we have largely been doing for years. Because the last thing, you know, we are – our fitness levels are so high. Our weight is so low. We're demanding so much of our body that we're always on the level, right? Always on the li- the tightrope of winning a bike race or getting sick. So we have to be super careful. Mm-hmm. And they are super careful. And we're in that situation. I mean the only and, difference they've told me is the hand, is the uh, face mask. Face mask. They've, the they've, they've been doing the hand sanitizing. They've been doing, you know, all these things. To you know, uh, but you're exactly right. I mean, for I guess the only complaint we've heard from certain people is that the, the sport directors hate wearing the mask in the car. They don't like that. Hey, who wants to wear a face mask, right? <laughs> well, nobody does this for like the aesthetic purpose, right? It's not chic. It's not whatever. You know, we just we're doing it to do it to do it, and everybody's agreed that's what we have to do. I, I you know, t- I've had a couple of you mentioned the uh, Thierry Gouvenu story. Well, tomorrow I'm doing a story on the head of the medical staff here and I talked to her today mm. um, and um, you know the tour gets a lot of criticism even I, I have to admit I was skeptical coming I was like is this really the right signal to be sending to society when we're asking so much of so many people everyday people to you know not do this not do this da, 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 to go and throw a bike race you know I had questions but I do see the amount of effort by ASO, the amount of effort by the French government, and by the, the health authorities here, the, 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 the health team here, to really make this happen 
in a situation that um, is successful. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to and, – and, and by doing that, they're trying to say we can have a normal life. We can still do what we did before if we take some precautions, if we work hard, and if we're united. And that's a pretty strong statement. Oh, no, I totally agree. The uh, In many ways, this is like a symbol for what our lives are going to look like probably for, you know, who knows, maybe uh, not just a few months, but maybe <laughs> a year or two. Yeah. I mean, some people are saying that we're not going to get out of this until really going into 2022. So, you know, this might be the way the tour looks like in uh, next summer. Might be the whole cycling season next year. But if they can, they can pull this thing off, you know, with no COVID cases or, you know, really very, very few or something. And I mean, you know, and the, the medical um, specialist, she's like, you know, obviously there's so many unknowns and obviously we don't want to do the Tour de France and create like a new, create more problems, more problems. We want to do this successfully with less problems. But she said, I'm an optimist and this is a challenge, but it's a challenge that if we work together and she said, you know, the French government, ASO and, and the health team have been working for the months health community. Yeah. to, to, and really with a lot of goodwill to make this happen because they believe in the Tour de France. Mm. That was a very strong statement. I thought that was, I mean, I was really, it was a really great interview and it gave me a, a, a different sense of just the goodwill of so many people to make the Tour de France happen because the Tour de France matters. Yeah, and you've seen it in terms of uh, the sacrifices that the teams have made. They've spent a lot of money and you know, ASO, the owners of the Tour de France, you know, they're spending a lot of money on this. And you're seeing the caravan is smaller. I'm getting the sense of looking around the start village the last few days and, and the VIP tents and all that it's kind of stuff. It's pretty mellow. I'm thinking, hmm, you know, ASO probably is not making much money in this year's tour. And in fact, they're probably like losing money in this year's tour just to get the tour done. I'll ask Christian about that tomorrow. Why don't get you on his Christian. good side. Ask hey, Christian, tomorrow. Christian how, much, how, much, how much? How many euros are you guys I mean, losing on this year's tour? And Christian's probably losing his bonus this year as well. <laughs> I, mean, I would probably guess that as well. Um, but just to wrap things up here, James. I mean, yesterday um, we had a, a pretty good day. Yesterday, I have to say, it was one of my. Uh, you know, adventurous days. Yeah, it's been a while since I had an adventurous day like that. So yesterday we you haven't rode... been following the photographer for a while. Though. Yeah, it's a different yeah. game. Yeah, the last time I had so much fun was when I followed you at Perry Perry Brobey. That years was ago. an adventure. So did we did we make it to the start that day? Which day? Uh, did we make it to the finish? <laughs> Sorry. What at Perry Brobey? Yeah. Oh, we made it. We made it just on the bell lap. Wasn't there like a train that kind of came yeah, into the picture? Train was getting in the way. Yeah, that was a good. <laughs> that was a good day. But so yesterday we rolled out it. You know. Yesterday was one of those kind of more surreal days actually I've ever had at the tour, to tell the truth. So we roll out of the Port, Port Vue, you know, kind of get lost in the maze of little kind of one-way streets there in the old part of Nice, roll up and around. And actually, I didn't know this really until I talked to one of my colleagues, you know, um, Jim Ratcliffe, the owner of Ineos. He's bought the Is niece. he your buddy? He's the, he's the niece. He ah. owns the Nice football club now. I did not know that. I did not know that either. So anyway, they put us into uh, the basement of the Nice football stadium. Or was it the sub-basement? The sub-basement. We could not get out of there. We, yeah. So first off, we're like walking around. I mean, I saw you take a photo of the parking spot. That's a, that is an old, wise tool. Always remember to take a photo of the parking space number because they number them in Europe. And that's where you can be able to find your car because otherwise you never find your car. Well, we don't, you we have a, we don't really, this is only stage four. We don't really know what our car looks like yet. Yeah, we don't you know, know what our car looks like. <laughs> so then we spent like the next literally half an hour trying to get out of this stadium. We walk upstairs, we walk downstairs, walking through these different stairwells. And it was kind of a comical scene. Finally, 
get out to uh, where we could uh, interview the riders. And again, you know, the mix zone, all these fencing. I mean, I think yesterday, who did I even talk to yesterday? It was one or two riders. And then we had to run back. Uh, you were taking photos. So we weren't together. And I ran back down to the basement. And, you know, being very, I don't know, being very French, you know, the parking level was like minus one, but the elevator number said zero, you know. So go figure. So I'm like, I'm like running around thinking, I'm going, I think it's actually one level lower. I'm running to the st- stairwells and there was no more stairs going down. Huh. So I'm running around and there's like a two or three other photographers and journalists going, because if we miss getting out of this, uh, out of You're the screwed. bowels of thing, we'll be behind the race all day. So then pick it up from there, James. What happened next? Well, then we, you know, we, we did succeed in getting out. Um, you know, everyone can get out alive from the Tour de France, right? And we get out on the race route and, you know, once we got out of the stadium and across the highways and all that, we got on this very beautiful stretch of road that went through Vence over to Grasse. And those are really pretty villages in the, in the, in the, in the back hills of Nice and the Côte d'Azur. Gorgeous, you know, these little pristine villages pitched on the, on the hillsides. Um, you know, it out was of hard out not of cannon range of the 18th century cannon range. Yes. Well, it was hard not to find, you know, it was hard not to find a good picture, right? Um, Except by the time we got the grass, the skies had opened up, and it was, you know, a deluge. I mean, a total deluge. And we knew we had to get off at Vence to get to the highway to get up to Cisteron, and we could not get off. And all of a sudden, you know, the rains were so heavy that nobody was communicating. The police were saying, well, you can get off, but you have to go up right and follow the race a little bit more. And our GPS was saying, we follow the race a little bit more. We're going to have like a 15-kilometer Detour, Loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, in the high hills uh, of the Côte d'Azur, which means not just like 15 minutes, but like 45 more minutes, which meant we were seriously putting getting to the finish line in jeopardy. And it was it wasn't pouring down. It was just it, it was a deluge. It, you know, yeah, it was a deluge. I mean, it was Dantesque. It was not hailing, but that was about the only thing it wasn't doing. It was just raining down on us. And at one point we just kind of said, well, what are we going to do? And our we realized that we had to get back down against the course and we just turned around and went down and then you pull out, you know, Hey, we didn't think I said, um, okay, here's the intersection. This is where we got to go. That's the, that's the road. It's clear that the street markers are saying this, except there's a line of barriers. Andy, get out and open those barriers. And there was a cop standing there. There was a cop standing there. And he just there. ran out and did it so fast. He was like flabbergasted. He didn't have time to yell, yell or get his whistle out. You well, know? I, and think, I think he just didn't want to get wet. Because, <laughs> or he didn't want to get because wet. Because I was very wet by the time I got through these barriers. We just busted through there. We're flying down the hill. You know, and these little roads in France, it takes you a while. I got down to the highway, to the payage. Sure enough, 10, 10 cases on the road. What happens? Bouchon. Got bouchon. a nice bouchon, bouchon. Got the bouchon. But then, you know, we looped around, got out to Cisteron. It was a sunny day. You know, we got there. We got there in time for the buffet, didn't we? The press buffet. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a good time. Although the buffet, I believe, was pretty under. Couscous and carrot salad. I don't remember that. I think you might have missed it. At, yeah. at Cisteron or today? No, no, Cisteron. It was good. Oh, I did not get yeah. that. No, no. Today was much better. I didn't get that either. No, today was good. Today I was, was good. you know, you dropped me off 3K from the, the bottom, and I was like, had to figure out for myself. But fortunately, fortunately, you had uh, gotten us some quiches and sandwiches that got me through. Thank yeah, you, Andy, yeah, for that. Yeah, we loaded up on the quiche, the quiche Lorraine. No, no, you had this... Uh, the saucisson. You got the, the chorizo, bringing a little Spanish chorizo, flavor into yeah, it. It was really yeah. great. All right, we're going to wrap it up here, and uh, we'll throw it back to Fred. So we'll be back uh, in a few more days here in the Tour de France. We will. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, uh, 
to everybody out there. It's, it's, it's been fun. We're getting into the, the gist and getting into things here. And um, I think the Tour de France is going to make it all the way back to Paris tonight. Maybe not tonight, but, you know, tonight I'm thinking we'll make it all the way back to Paris. 